morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Erin Baker. I am the online campus pastor here at ALC. And if you are scratching your head thinking, I thought she was the women's pastor, you're right. I have been, and because of the uniqueness of this season and so many of you continuing to watch online, we have decided to make our online community its own campus. So we are now a church in four locations, Vancouver, Sandy, Happy Valley, and online. And if you are wondering why you did not get this update, it's probably because you are not signed up for our ALC family news. You can go to alcpnw.com to sign up to receive these weekly emails from our elders. You will get updates weekly from our pastoral team. You will get devotional thoughts. And of course, information on what is happening at all of our campuses at Abundant Life. So there's my little plug for the ALC family news. Make sure to go sign up for that email if you're not already receiving it. We are in week three of a series called Hidden Treasures, looking at the parables told by Jesus. Now, a parable is really just another way of saying a story. And unlike a textbook or lecture, story invites the listener in to ask questions and dialogue. You know, the purpose is to have a conversation around these parables to find the lesson. Now, parables have an obvious practical lesson, but they also have a deeper meaning that takes some digging sometimes to arrive at. Something parables also do, which I really love, is it teaches you something about the teacher. The, the person telling uh, the parable, it reveals something to you about them. So we're going to spend our time this morning in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. While you are turning there uh, in your physical Bible or maybe pulling it up online, I'm going to start the morning by telling you my own parable. I have titled it The Parable of the Defective Sniffer. My friend Jade invited me over for dinner and we have this recipe, it's chicken tortilla soup that uh, we've gone back and forth and made it for each other in various times in our lives. Someone has a baby, uh, you know, someone has a surgery and you make them this soup and we love it. Well, she had me over and as I'm taking a bite, I'm recognizing this is different. The aroma is different, the taste is different, but it's our recipe. It's like the recipe we always make. See, it calls for cilantro at the very end to be diced up and then that fresh herb thrown in there. So you're kind of smelling it all while you're taking a taste of that stew. This was parsley, not cilantro. And so I even said, huh, way to put your own flair on it. Okay. And she didn't know what I was talking about. I could tell her face looked confused. She's like, what do you mean? It's cilantro. I'm like, my taste buds are fully intact and this is definitely parsley. Now, Jade had COVID two months ago. And to those of you, I know this is not a symptom that everybody gets, but she definitely lost her sense of taste and smell. And even two months later, it had still clearly not returned to her. We had a little laugh and it was great. Now, the next week, Jade called me up and said, hey, I'm running to the store. Can I get you anything? I don't live far away from a store, but I have four little humans and it's a whole thing to go grab one item. And so she is so great for offering when she goes. I try to return the favor when I can and I'm going already to pick up something that I might need. Well, no joke, what I was really needing was cilantro. And so I said, um, do, do your best. <laughs> we laughed and you will, 
I, I'm so thrilled that cilantro came. I was making a meal for someone else and she, she read the label, she got it right. She fully delivered on this favor. So what's the obvious practical lesson to my parable? Carefully read how produce is labeled. Yeah, the deeper lesson, Sometimes life experiences disrupt our sense of what feels normal. Maybe you feel this way after a year of COVID and wearing masks and not shaking hands with a stranger and maybe not hugging the people that you love. It's this disorienting time, right? Where we can't even trust our own senses. You're watching the news, whatever it is, you might be downward spiraling in your feelings and they're leading you astray to feel like things are hopeless, things are just too hard and you're like in despair, right? When our senses are leading us astray, pursuing truth in scripture and leaning into who we know Jesus is will keep us on the right path. Even when you don't feel God's presence, rest in the truth that he is present. He is good and he does love you. So, what does this teach you about me, the storyteller? Hopefully you've learned that I will tell stories about the friends that I love in the sermons that I write. Also that I have really awesome friends who like make me food and grocery shop for me. Jade, I love you if you are watching, I appreciate you and you're still defective sniffer. Uh, we're gonna to get to this parable. Hopefully you have opened now to Luke chapter 18. It is a parable told by Jesus. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see to it that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? The obvious practical lesson, be persistent, don't give up, right? This widow came repeatedly, even after being ignored and denied, eventually her request was granted. Now the deeper meaning is gonna take a little bit more digging to get into. Um, you know, it alludes to the fact that if a judge who doesn't even care about people will eventually grant justice, how much more will a God who is good and who loves us grant justice for his children? So when Pastor David kicked off this series, he talked about parables and the fact, you know, that many, including his own disciples, were sometimes scratching their heads like, what, so who are we supposed to be? What's this teaching us? What I love is that it really encourages the listener to ask 
questions. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I am an incredibly inquisitive person. I have just always been a question asker. I've also always considered myself to be a truth seeker. And so um, I don't really know a better way to really honestly pursue truth than to hold the truth that you have loosely and ask a lot of questions. From a very young age, um, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, a regularly attended youth group. I was that kid, actually, uh, that youth that brought my Bible, my physical Bible to school, and I would keep it on my desk. And um, I was hoping it would be like a conversation starter for other students, like that I would maybe be, even if I was labeled like the Christian, that it would invite conversation. And it did. You know, I... Uh, was raised every now and then attending Catholic mass with my grandma, if my parents were out of town. Um, I attended a Mormon seminary sometimes before school with my friend Jimmy, uh, taking notes frantically so that we could debate at lunch. I learned about Buddhism from my friend Angela in the back of our elective class. I engaged with my friend Jacqueline about Islam and peaceful Muslims and radical Muslims and this holding on to a belief so much so that they were willing to die on suicide missions for this, what they believed to be truth. I went to a Jewish temple with my friend Jeff, was fascinated by Hinduism. You name it, I asked questions about it and Christianity was no exception. God bless my parents. Um, you know, they weren't threatened or afraid. They had a preference. Don't, don't he hear this wrong that my parents were like that. Your truth is your truth. Find your truth. No, they are both Jesus followers who very much had a preference about the truth I landed on. And also they had such a true and authentic faith themselves, a trust and belief in Jesus that if I was asking the questions, he was going to reveal himself to me. And he did. You know, at times it was frustrating to be a kid with all these questions. I remember praying as a child that I could have the faith of a child. I'm like, but I am a child, so why don't I have it? I'm confused. Help. Um, even though I had those frustrations, I think more than that in my adult life, I have a deep appreciation for the richness of faith that can come by authentically pursuing Jesus and asking hard questions. He is uh, real and alive and draws near and he will reveal himself. Uh, when you knock on that door, he will open that door for you. Okay, now that I've done my best to validate you fellow question askers, uh, I'm going to take you on my own question journey. I was kind of uh, debating about how to approach this passage and I figured why not just let them into my own Bible study? So I asked four questions as I approach. I asked a lot more than four, but I'm going to, I'm going to narrow it down to four for the sake of this morning. I'm going to give all these questions to you now. First, who is asking? Second, what is she asking for and why does it matter? Three, how does she ask? And four, what does this parable reveal about the nature and character of God? So I started um, with, that first, with that first question. 
So before we actually dive in, I do want to acknowledge verse one says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So we're told right off the bat here, uh, the purpose and the main, like this is a, a remember to pray, like consider everything under the umbrella of prayer is important. So it's important as you dissect these four questions and get to the answers that you have an accurate uh, pulse on what you believe about prayer. How do you approach prayer? What do you pray about? Uh, What do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Uh, How often do you pray? What do you believe about prayer? The more honest you are and in touch with whatever it is you believe about prayer, the better. So let's dive in. Question one, who is asking? If you're following along in the text, verse three tells us that a widow in that city, uh, in that city in ancient Israel is asking. Words that often accompany the word widow in the Bible should light on both her personal experience and social plight. Some passages describe the weeping, mourning, desolation after the passing of her loved one. Other passages are descriptive of her financial situation, the poverty and indebtedness when the source of her economic support, her husband had died. Often the widow is placed in scripture with the landless immigrant, a representative of the poorest of the poor. With minimal, if any, inheritance rights, uh, the loss of a husband in ancient Israel was a personal, social, and economic tragedy. We're not sure uh, of the offense that she was enduring, but we know she was a person in a vulnerable position, and we know that she was the target of exploitation, and that is what is happening in this parable. Question two, what she's asking for and why, why does it matter what she's asking for? In verse three, the widow says, grant me justice against my opponent. The widow asks for justice. She's not asking for special treatment. She was petitioning for what was right. How do we as present day Jesus followers seek justice? How do we pursue what's right? What injustice do you see in the world? What injustice breaks your heart? What demographic of marginalized people inspires you to learn, engage, and help? Here are some images of modern day widows I have identified, people who are marginalized, oppressed, vulnerable. Those living in poverty, foster kids, sex trafficking victims, those who struggle with mental illness, the homeless population, people of color, refugees, people with physical disabilities, the unborn. Scripture has a lot to say about how Jesus followers are to respond to people who are oppressed in any given culture. Zechariah 7.10 says, do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Do not scheme against each other. Psalm 82.3 says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. In just these three verses, and there are so many more throughout scripture, 
We see the instructions, do not oppress, do not scheme, give her uh, justice, seek justice, uphold rights, learn to do good, help, defend, fight for. These are all action words in these verses. When I read scripture, I do not see God dismissing me from the charge to stand up for what's right, to stand up against injustice. Injustice is sin. Injustice is what put Jesus on that cross. Social justice can be defined as promoting a just society by challenging injustice and valuing diversity. One of the things that is challenging about this definition is that it's vague and can lead to many different uh, conclusions about what justice really looks like and how to achieve justice. It can also be triggering because of the way that certain issues have been politicized. The Bible, however, is clear. This is not a gray area. Scripture gives us the best definition of justice. And Christine Erickson, she's a director of Children at Risk, um, Children at Risk Ministry Grace Church in Minnesota. She says this, and I just, I thought her words would be better than my own. In contrast to social justice, which focuses on a temporal view of addressing injustices in society, biblical justice starts with the eternal in mind. It starts by seeing people as God sees them recognizing that we are all created in the image of God. And it is incumbent upon Christ followers to pursue physical and spiritual freedom for the oppressed. So others can become who and what God created them to be. She says, if we have experienced freedom, how can we not pursue freedom on behalf of others? I just love that. As a church, we partner with those doing the work of social justice in our communities, but let's not be confused about what our ultimate mission is. Our mission is not to pick up a cause because it sounds appealing and makes us look good. Our mission is to fully embrace the cause of Christ. The goal of biblical justice is seeing lives eternally transformed and reconciled to God. If we're pursuing a heart like Jesus, no matter where we currently land on the political spectrum, prejudice and discrimination should break our hearts. If a person's personal testimony triggers you to become defensive, I encourage you to pause. Ask yourself why. That intentional pause can create space to really see another person and learn. A couple weeks ago, several women here at ALC and around the world uh, participated in the IF gathering. One of my favorite sessions was a conversation with panelists from a variety of backgrounds. Uh, one of the participants, David Bailey, he's an author and founder of an organization called Arabon. Uh, it's an organization with its primary focus to pursue unity and reconcile fractured communities. He said this, and I just frantically wrote it down uh, because I just, I, I knew I wanted to share it. The racial caste system is a spiritual principality manifested economically, legislated politically that affects us relationally 
While Senator Douglas in Lincoln's year was trying to change policy, Harriet Tubman was freeing slaves. Harriet Beecher Stowe was writing the book that had Abraham Lincoln say, you're the little woman that started the big war. When the boys were critiquing Booker T. Washington about his methodology of how as black people are we to move forward and Dr. Martin Luther King was shaping a political view to help change policies, Ida B. Wells was saying, hey, there's lynching going on here. And she was organizing gatherings and advocating for justice. Who do I see all over this reflection by David Bailey? The persistent widow marginalized and oppressed individuals persistently advocating, asking for justice and for change. We've come a long way in the fight against racial injustice and there's still a long way to go. It's worth mentioning that while women were a huge part of the effort to pass the 15th amendment in 1870, it was not until 51 more years that women could vote because of the 19th amendment in 1920. It's also worth mentioning that Native Americans and Asian Americans remained excluded from voting until another 30 to 50 years after that. This is recent history. Maybe some of you listening remember some of these uh, uh, changes going into effect. What about another injustice prevalent in our world today? Human trafficking. So I have young boys and they just wander off. And so me and my panicked mother state, I'm like, William, come back here. I couldn't find you. Or, you know, in a store, like they think it's fun to hide. It's very stressful when like minutes have passed. I am also the woman who at the Children's Museum now a while back because we've not been in a long time because of COVID. Uh, could not find my child and they're all on their walkie talkies asking around. Um, there's a little boy wearing a dinosaur shirt and I'm like the parent just like, I don't, I tried my best, I'm sorry. Um, unfortunately, I've had to have conversations, of course, relative to their age and taking all things into consideration. Uh, but but that someone, something bad could happen. Like what? Someone could take you. My son Ben said to me, Hey mom, if someone kidnaps a kid, it, they love kids at least. So you, I would go with someone who, who loved kids. No, Benny, I know to your curious and innocent mind that makes sense. Why would someone take a child unless they loved kids? But it, it's not someone that loves a child that takes a child. These are conversations we're having to have with our kids. One day there will be perfect justice carried out by a perfectly holy and just God. In the meantime, evil is pervasive throughout our world. Children are sold into sex slavery because there's a large market for it. The poor are beaten and exploited. There are more than 35 million slaves in the world today, more than any other time in history. If you believe that racism or prejudice and slavery are a thing of the past, global statistics and personal experience would disagree. Are we quicker to share our own experience and observations, what we believe to be true, or are we slow to speak and quick to listen 
to the hurtful experiences of others. Can we, the church, lead the way and pursue justice on behalf of the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the enslaved? I think we can. If we know the one who is completely just, should we not be the ones leading the charge? And by lead the charge, I do not mean complain about things on social media. And maybe you can think about someone, someone comes to mind with good intention. They're loud about the injustices they see and they create a, a wake of, of um, division and hurt in their path as they're advocating away. Pastor and CEO of the Christian Advocacy Group called Bread for the World, Eugene Cho says this, it is important that we always view justice through the lens of Jesus and scripture. Because friends, even good things, if we are not careful, can grow to become idolatry. In other words, we don't worship justice. We worship a just God, and therefore we pursue justice. Fueled by the compassion of Christ, we engage in issues of injustice, protecting the vulnerable, fighting for those held in oppression, walking alongside the wounded and pointing them to the one who heals, restores, and redeems. Ready to move on to question three? <laughs> How does she ask? She asks with persistence. In verse five, the judge says, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Luke, the author of this gospel, reminds us that the purpose of the parable is to inspire us not to give up. Continue to come in prayerful pleading for justice. It's easy to lose heart. What about you? Have you lost heart? Have you prayed for something? Prayed that God would show up in a certain area to find that he's not or hasn't yet? Should you just give up? This parable would suggest otherwise. No, continue to persistently pray the widow does not passively accept the way that the world is and said she seeks justice with determination. Let's move on to question four. Our final question or arguably the most important question to ask. What does this parable reveal about the nature and character of God? I believe it reveals four main things. First, that his character is good. This parable doesn't imply that he's like this corrupt judge. No, it says the judge is selfish, stubborn, disrespectful. If he will grant justice, how much more will a God who is loving and compassionate grant justice for his people? He's full of love, compassionate, kind. His character is good. The character of God is good. Number two, uh, he desires that we come to him in persistent prayer. Communication draws us into deeper relational intimacy with others. Prayer draws us into deeper relational intimacy with God. And it's important that we come to him in prayer. And typically for me, prayer and action are closely linked. 
Three, he promises to deliver justice. If you're like me, this truth gives you so much peace. One of the hardest things I believe that we face in this world is injustice. And we all experience it differently, right? How do you experience it? Maybe you, uh, as a Christian, have felt in your family oppressed, in your workplace made fun of, or that you have to um, keep it on the DL, your faith, because you might be judged. Healthcare, whether it be denial of healthcare, lack of access, maybe you or someone you know has gone bankrupt because of a diagnosis. Opioid addiction, this is a money-making, medically prescribed injustice in our world. Foster care, child abuse victims. This has been a season, a year where kids have not been in school. Teachers are the primary mandatory reporters for child abuse. It breaks my heart. What about mental health, anxiety, depression? Suicide, my cousin was letting me know that since COVID, four students at her child's high school have taken their own lives. I wanna pause here and say that if you're listening and you're wrestling with depression and it just feels like things would be better off without you, that is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is uh, the enemy digging in. He doesn't leave us alone when we're hurting. He kicks us while we're down. Reach out to a loved one. Reach out to the church. Call a suicide hotline. There are uh, brighter days ahead. And while you can't see it now, a new season is coming. And Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. And he is with you. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe uh, you've been judged in the church because you have this divorced label over you. Maybe you're denied uh, certain positions. Maybe you're, um, you, you have been denied or lost money or rights to your children. Sexual exploitation, maybe you have been uh, objectified in your life. Maybe you have been a victim of sexual abuse. Maybe you're a person of color, facing daily prejudice, living in the tension of people not even wanting to have the conversation. All of these injustices are uh, injustices, injustices that God came for. Jesus personally experienced injustice. He endured and he died unjustly. Tim Keller says in his book, Generous Justice, Tim, I'm not friends on a first name basis with Tim, but I read a lot of his stuff. Timothy is his name. Timothy Keller says, many people say, I can't believe in God when I see all the injustice in the world. But here's Jesus, the son of God, who knows what it's like to be the victim of injustice, to stand up to power, to face a corrupt system and be killed for it. He knows what it's like to be lynched. I'm not sure how you believe in a God remote from injustice and oppression, but Christianity doesn't ask you to believe in that. If you close your eyes to the injustice in this world, you are numbing feelings that we were intended to have when we were made in the image, in the likeness of God. Or maybe you focus too long on the heartbreak and you're wallowing in a sea of despair and hopelessness. And what can we even do? This world is so broken. One demographic we haven't really looked at from this story, uh, the third group of people that I wanna talk about is those 
who were taking advantage of the widow. You know, it's easy to not think of ourselves as being this character, but it's a bunch of humans watching and I'm a human and I have sin in my life. Have you made choices that perpetuate and feed the sex industry? Have you, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally made insensitive comments. See, we we hear racism and we hear people of color and there's this divide and there's this tension, right? There's quite a spectrum of malicious racism and racial insensitivity because of a lack of experience and in ignorance. Where might you fall on the line? And how can we as individuals turn inward? It's easy to hear a message like this and even give a message like this and say, I hope so-and-so hears it. Ooh, they need it. What if it begins with the individual looking inward and asking the Holy Spirit, God, reveal to me my blind spots. What am I not seeing? How can I be a better listener? Lastly, I think what this teaches us is that uh, God cares that we're faithful. He reminds us at the end of this passage that he will bring about justice. The real question is whether we'll stick in there and not give up under fire. In a couple weeks, we celebrate Easter, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus are literally the greatest uh, answer to the cries of the widow, to the cries of the oppressed, to the cries of the hurting, the broken. We have good news. Let's share it. Yes, it's a responsibility of the Jesus follower to share the good news. It's also a joy and a privilege to invite people in, not to our neat and tidy club, but to our group of broken people aware of our shortcomings and our sin and free in the redemptive power of Christ. Pray without ceasing, church. Do not give up. Share the good news. Invite a friend to Easter. I've asked that the band close us out with a song called Hosanna. I wanna read a few of these lyrics. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We're on our knees. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Pursuing justice starts and continues with the foundation of prayer. Because we know it is his battle, not our own. It involves time and sacrifice and stepping out of our comfort zone, persevering with patience Church, let's engage in the fight for biblical justice. And let's begin with prayer. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. May we be moved to repentance on any injustices we have ignored or perpetuated. May we be persistent in coming before you to align our hearts with your heart as we pursue justice in your powerful name. Amen.